Well, this morning, uh, we're going to be continuing on in the book of Acts. We've been looking at the book of Acts since probably around April, kind of off and on. And uh, normally, we've been kind of going chapter by chapter and studying a little passage, finding out what it means, applying it to our life. This is often called exegetical sermon preaching. But this morning, I want to do something completely different. I want to do a topical message. My, my professors at college said, well, when you do a topical message, just make sure you repent afterwards and get back to exegetical preaching. Well, anyways, I'm going to ignore what they said and go for it. Um, this morning, I'm going to be talking about prayer in the book of Acts. And so we're going to look through the book of Acts, find out what it says about prayer, and kind of go through it topically and find out what we ought to be doing in response to this. So I think maybe before I get started, maybe I should pray since I'm going to be preaching on praying. So why don't we do that right now? Father, we come to you today, and uh, Lord, we are so thankful for your word. I thank you, Lord, that it, it directs our life, and we can have confidence that we are in your will as we follow your word. And uh, so, Lord, I just thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that this morning, that you would apply your word to our lives, so we wouldn't be just hearers of the word only, but Lord, that we would be doers of the word. And so as it comes to prayer, Lord, we just pray that you would uh, just challenge us, change us, help us to understand what prayer is about. And uh, Lord, we, we just pray that we would live it out after the sermon is done. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to start this morning by sharing about the biggest prayer meeting Eastgate ever had. And um, before I, I get, tell you the story, I've got to kind of back up a little bit and tell you the, the background information about what happened at the biggest prayer meeting Eastgate ever had, that I can remember anyways. Uh, basically, it was three years and three months ago that we were at a stalemate with the building project for the Mandarin Church. Basically, we had started this whole project out with great anticipation that, oh, this is going to be great. We're going we're gonna to have this international community of Alliance churches, and we're going to build buildings that reflect the vision, you know, so that there's places of worship where people can worship and pray in their mother tongue, but they can leave that area and go to an area that was designed for fellowship with everybody in the body of Christ. And that was our vision, and, and it was so exciting. But what started out as thinking, oh, we could probably do something for about $600,000. It was sort of like the first guesstimate. Uh, kind of changed when the architect got involved, and he kind of showed us this plan and said, well, actually, you're about half of what it's going to cost. It's actually going to cost double that, about a million point two. Um, and what he showed us was a plan with a church and some office buildings and, and a classroom. But that was it. There was no hub. There was no fellowship place. There was no coffee area. And there was no uh, lounge. So we went, no, 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 this is not going to work. You've got to draw something with some, you know, a big fellowship area. Okay, so we went back to the drawing board, and he came back with $1.9 million. Well, now this whole project was getting a little out of hand, but we thought we could still do it, and we pressed on, and we started getting quotes. And we, we actually, by this time, we had spent $50,000 with an architect and and with engineers, and we actually put a, put a down payment, a retainer on a, on a construction company. But then we started getting actual quotes. And oh my goodness, the, the thing ballooned to $2.6 million. And I'm telling you, <laughs> we were not getting traction. And both elders boards 
and the building committee, we all realized this was not going to happen. This was too much money. We couldn't afford what we felt God wanted us to do. And I remember the day very clearly. I sat in my office, and I was just depressed. I was like, what am I going to do? I feel like God is calling us to do this, but I just can't see my way clear of raising this kind of money. It's just this, you know, we don't, we don't have a, a wealthy congregation. We are in the middle of a, an economic, we were in the middle of an economic downturn. Remember in, in 2012, they said how bad it was, and it was this big economic downturn, they called it. I don't know what that means exactly, but it means there's not as much money around. Um, the, we had, we've been getting parking revenue from the Montfort Hospital, but the Montfort Hospital finished their parkade, so we assumed that that parking revenue was going to drop off. And so there are all these things rattling around my head, and I just realized that this, this is not going to work. And so I sat down in my office, and I kind of whined a bit to God. <laughs> you know, I was like, Lord, you know, I know you own the cattle on a thousand hills, but really, realistically, this congregation can't afford this. What am I supposed to do? I, I feel like you want me to do this, but I, I just can't see my way clear. And all of a sudden, I felt God's voice speak in my heart. Bill? You're in the middle of an economic downturn. How are the church finances doing? Oh, oh, they're not bad. Well, actually, they're really good. For the end of the summer, we're right on by. That's actually amazing. I can't believe. Yeah, okay, I get it. And, and Bill, um, parking revenue. It was supposed to turn off. What's happened there? And I'm like, wow, yeah, hmm, 40000 already this year, and it's only September. And I was like, well, that's pretty good. And, and then, he, then, he, then he, the closing comments, right? So don't you trust me? <laughs> and I was like, okay, Lord, you win. I get it. You will provide or whatever. And so I, I got out of my sort of dry slump, and I went, and I said, okay, what are we going to do? And so I, I, I said, you know, I, I really don't think this either congregation is going to approve this at $2.6 million. So I started cutting things out of the building project, you know, like, well, we don't need the front door renovation right now, and we don't need those lights, and let's, and I was deleting stuff and trying to get it. So I got it down to about $22.3 million. And I was like, oh, man, it's that sewer line. That's the problem. And because what had happened was early on, when we made the budget in, the, in this uh, 1.2 and the 1.9 budget, the sewer line was supposed to cost $200,000, and that's what we were using as a figure uh, for the, the sewer line. And, uh, but I didn't realize until we started getting the actual quotes from, from uh, um, what do you call it, excavating companies, that that figure only included digging the hole and putting in the sewer line. It didn't didn't say anything about rock removal and that was a complete shock to us on the budget committee and on the, the whole financial team it was just like because when we actually got the contractor bids and this happened like in the summer of 2012 the contractor bids said well we'll, we'll bid on the on the sewer line but and it was right about two hundred thousand dollars to put in the sewer line but they said rock removal is extra that's that doesn't that's not included in two hundred thousand no, and that's and they would quote the price of X number of dollars per ton, and we calculated how many tons was down there, <laughs> and the price ballooned to between six hundred thousand and seven hundred fifty thousand, and we're just like this is killing the project, 
And I was, I was like, ah, oh, what am I going to do? So finally I said, okay, I'm going to go and try to put this out to tenor again, see if we can get this down somehow, because this, this is a huge factor. And so we did. And so we got a company that said, you know what, we'll actually quote the price with the rock removal included in the price. And we're going to be better than anyone else. That's what they told us. <laughs> this guy, very boldly, we're, we're going to give you a better price than anybody else you've gotten so far. And we're like, mm, yeah, right, I'd like to see that. So anyways, they, he set a date. He said, but what we got to do is we got to dig a hole out in the corner of the property here, find out how deep the rock is, because we need to know how deep the rock is to figure out how much, to calculate how much it's going to cost to remove the rock. So the date was set. It was on a Tuesday. And so on Sunday, I really felt God saying to me, look, you need to step out in faith here and get the congregation to pray for this uh, sewer line. And, and the words that Jesus sped, said came to mind, you know, if you say to this mountain, be moved, it will be moved and it will be thrown into the heart of the sea. And so uh, feeling conf confident with God's word that we can move a mountain, uh, I encourage, remember I asked you guys to go out to the corner of the property after church and pray on the corner of the property in the spot where they were going to dig to see how deep the rock was. And after church, it started raining. Uh, okay, I don't know what that meant. But anyways, we went out there, and that was the biggest prayer meeting that, was, that I'd ever been to at Eastgate. That was specifically for prayer alone. And I don't know, there was about 60, maybe 100 people out there. I, I don't really rem remember. And we all stood out there. It was just drizzling a little bit. And we prayed, and we prayed that God would move the mountain of rock underneath the ground away somewhere else. So, big prayer meeting, big, big agenda. One agenda, but it was a big prayer. And uh, Tuesday comes, and they come with a backhoe, and they start digging. And they dig down a foot, and they dig down two feet, and they dig down three feet. They got this far and hit bedrock, solid bedrock. And I'm like, oh, man, so much for moving mountains so much for prayer meetings, so much for whatever I was thinking, whatever I was feeling God leading me to go out there and pray, and, and I was feeling discouraged, and I felt like God had let me down, kind of, and I felt like I had gone out on a limb, and yeah, well, anyways, I was working on processing this when one of our elders came and said to me, hey, Pastor Bill, you know, while we were praying out there, I really felt like... God was saying that God's going to answer this prayer in a different way. And I didn't say it at the time, but in my heart, I was saying, yeah, well, whatever. Because <laughs> I was bummed out. I was just not happy with uh, this. And, uh, and yet this elder was quite up about it. And, and, um, and so when the price came back, I kind of took it. It kind of latched onto it and said, oh, well, that's at least a partial answer to prayer. Because the price came back at 318000 about half of our lowest quote so far. And so I kind of latched onto that one. Okay, well, at least it was partially answered because, you know, we don't have to at least, at least the mountain of money got moved a little bit. And the project went ahead and went forward and we, uh, it passed through the various churches. But you know what? Abdel came to me one day and said, you know, Bill, I think we can get it done for less than $318,000. And I'm like, 
No way, that's not possible. I mean, we had, we, we got about 10 quotes from, basically we, we hit every excavating company in the city and asked them for a quote. And the lowest one was half price of the next lowest one. Now, there's not going to be anything less. I just, you know, but he said, no, no, let's try it. Okay, whatever. So I'll put it out the tender. And, uh, and a company brought back a quote. And that quote caused me, my first thought was when I opened the quote was, oh, ye of little faith. <laughs> because I want to just show you what happened. Remember the original quote, 200000 Remember that? Well, we spent 15000 on engineering costs. So actually, that only left $185,000 to uh, do the excavation without rock removal. Remember, this is a, a without rock removal price. When I opened the email that had the quote, do you know how dumbfounded I was when I saw the quote? And it was $185,000, including the rock removal. I just about fell over. And I was like, oh, praise the Lord. That is so amazing. And God was faithful. And he did answer that prayer in a way that I wasn't expecting. And he did move the mountain in a way. He basically allowed it not for us not to have to pay for that rock to be removed. I still don't know how they did it. And the other people who saw the contract and saw how much work it was, they said, that company must be losing their shirt. How did you get this contract? Nobody can believe it. It was so cheap and it was so ridiculous and the rock was so hard and they wrecked their one tractor and they had to or get an, it was crazy. We actually gave them a little bit of extra money because we felt so bad for, their, for this company because, uh, because of what happened. And, and, you know, God was just so faithful. And, and I believe with all my heart that that was a direct answer to prayer of God's people getting together and believing in faith beyond what was reasonable to believe that God would move a mountain for us. And he did. And uh, I think I even, see that hole? See how deep that hole is? Can you see those two little guys at the bottom? Not the shadows, the guys at the bottom. And then look at the saw at the top. That hole is, was 18 feet deep. They, maybe this much was not rock, but three times my height was solid rock. And uh, God allowed us to get that done for that incredible price. And to me, it was a testimony to prayers of God's people and to the power of God's people getting together and asking God audaciously for something quite ridiculous that none of us really, that's not possible in the human realm. And yet God doing it, maybe in a different way than we might have asked for or expected, but God doing the miracle nevertheless. So I'm going to... Where am I? <laughs> uh, so when we get to the book of Acts, this type of corporate prayer becomes very prominent in the book. And it, ha it turns up in the very first chapter, chap in verse 14. It, it says that they went uh, to the upstairs room, and uh, those that were present were Peter and John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. And it says they were all joined together. <laughs> Isn't that a cool thing? I don't know if they were holding hands or what. But at least emotionally, they were holding hands. They were all joined together consistently in prayer, along with the woman, Mary, and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. 
consistently in prayer. This is an intense prayer meeting here, folks. And before I talk about the prayer meeting, I want to talk a little bit about exegesis in, in various books. Because sometimes uh, we don't understand how we need to understand the genre of the book that we're, we're talking about before we can really exegete or, or understand the, the passage that's being talked about. And so I, I want to just point out an important thing about the book of Acts. In fact, any book of the Bible, you have to understand that it, it's a genre. It's, uh, you know what a genre is? Like, like a genre is a type of writing. So if you, ha you can have poetry or prose. You can have fiction or nonfiction. You can have, you know, scholarly works of the law, you know, legal documents, or you can have uh, comedies. Um, these are all different types of writing. And if you try to read a comedy as if it were a law text, you're going to have trouble, you know? <laughs> like, like, it doesn't mean, you know, like, like there's satire in it and stuff. You know, like, like the article that somebody wrote about our church that, that Prime Minister Harper visited here, and, and there was panda bears. And Have you ever read that article? It's the craziest article. If you look up Eastgate, it's the first one that comes up. It's ridiculous. But it's, it's satire. And, you know, if you read that as if it's, you know, a, a genuine newspaper, you're going to be in trouble because nothing in it's true. Well, there's a, enough truth just to mess, you, mess with your head. But that's the way it is. And, and so when it comes to the Bible, there's different kinds of things in the Bible, different kind of genres. In, in the Old Testament, there, there's the, the, the books of the law. Well, you don't read Leviticus the same way you read Psalms. They're, they're different. And, and Psalms is poetic. And then there's Proverbs. Proverbs is different than, than, than the prophecy, prophetical books. Pro Proverbs, a lot of people read Proverbs and they go, oh, these are promises from God. No, they're not. They're Proverbs. That's what they are. Read the title of the book, Proverbs. They're not prof prophecies. They're not promises. But, but if you read the prophets and you consider them, oh, well, they're just sort of like Proverbs. You know, they're just saying that maybe this will happen. No, no, no. Those are saying this is going to happen. And so there's a difference in how you read different material. So when you get to the book of Acts, what kind of book is it? Well, it's actually, Acts is short for the full title. The full title is Acts of the Apostles, okay? So it's a description of the history from the start of the church into the birth of the church and what the apostles were doing. And so it's, it's a history lesson about the Acts, what the apostles were doing. So you don't read it, it doesn't read the same as, say, the Gospels, where in the Gospels, Jesus is teaching the people, the good news. In the, in the, in the um, epistles, the letters to the churches or the letters to the pastors, there's a lot of teaching. This is what you got to do. This is what you got to do. But in the book of Acts, it's history. And so sometimes what happens is people confuse history with teaching. And they go like, oh, well, this is, this is obviously in the Bible to teach us how to pray or how to do things. No, it's just describing what happened. And so um, the things that are described don't carry the same weight as things that are taught. And so these are important things just to keep in mind. And so it, it, it bears a little bit on what I'm about to talk about. Not a whole lot, but anyways. <laughs> uh, for, for instance, let me give you a for instance. Right from the first chapter of uh, Acts. In there, there's um, the, the apostles, they're, 
they realize that Judas is, has not in their number anymore, and they read the scriptures, they find out, oh, we're supposed to replace Judas with somebody. So what do they do? They, they, they think of, okay, who's been with Jesus the whole time of his ministry? And they, they pick a couple of guys, and then it says, look, look on the screen here what it says. There it is. Thank you. Um, you know, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen. So, so they asked the Lord to show them which of the two men uh, will take over the apost apostolic ministry that Judas left. And so then they cast lots. Well, what's casting lots? Kind of like throwing dice or maybe drawing straws, something like that. And so the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to their number. So a lot of people have taken this passage, and they kind of go like, oh, well, that must be God's chosen method of appointing elders in the church. And my sister's church does this. They, they, they have a nominating committee. They choose a bunch of elders. And then they throw dice to see which elder is to be the next elder. Um, no, be, before they throw dice, they, they pray. And they ask God which one that he would choose the right one. And so... It's very similar to this, and a lot of people go like, yeah, that's the way you got to do it, because that's what the Bible says. It's right there. It's pretty clear. But what I would counter is, actually, that's not what the Bible says or teaches. It's what the Bible shows the apostles did. Now, the apostles, uh, we understand that, that when they wrote the scriptures, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they wrote an inerrant scripture. But were the apostles inerrant in everything they did? No, they were human just like us. So maybe they made a mistake here, actually. We, we don't know for sure. But some scholars, and myself included, would contend that actually Matthias was not the 12th apostle, but um, that Paul, which the whole rest of the book of Acts describes as this incredible apostle for Christ, is actually the one that God chose, and that this was maybe not... God's will. Now, I'm not going to say categorically, no, Matthias was not an apostle. Uh, I, I don't have the authority or the ability to do that. And maybe he was. And maybe this was God's choice. I don't know for sure. But I tend to see the logic in that actually it looks like the rest of the book is showing that this here little thing that the apostles did might have been a mistake. Don't go telling me that I don't believe in the authority of the Bible, okay? <laughs> I do. It's just that you have to understand the genre to understand what's going on. And so leave some room for that. So let's get back to the other prayer meeting, the first prayer meeting in the book of Acts, uh, where they're all gathered together for prayer and supplication in the upper room. What was going on there? You got a list of all these apostles that were there and some of the women that were there. Clearly, this was a group meeting. This was a, a prayer meeting with a lot of people in, involved and in, in attending. Um, and so, <clears throat> let's get it back up on the screen. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so they were constantly together in prayer, along with the women Mary and the mother of Jesus and his brothers. And the, but you have to ask, well, was this just something that the apostles did? Like, you know, like, they just did it, and it's not necessarily something for us to follow? Or is this something that we should follow, and we should pattern our, our uh, prayer meetings after what the apostles did? Because the verse that comes to mind whenever I read about the apostles meeting together 
is the verse that Jesus said, the teaching, teaching, remember, that Jesus said about the hypocrisy of praying publicly for honor. Remember that verse? It's in uh, Matthew uh, 6, verse 5. When you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full. And I'm telling you, whenever I pray on Sunday mornings, not whenever, but sometimes, this verse comes to my mind as I wax eloquent in prayer. And I think, are you doing this? Are you being a hypocrite, Bill? And I have to come back to that. And I have to ask myself, you know, like, because praying, you know, praying a beautiful, you know, I, I prayed at my, my niece's wedding. And afterwards, it's the only part I did in the service. And afterwards, people come up to me, oh, that was a really beautiful prayer that you prayed. That was amazing. I love that prayer. It can go to your head. It can mess you up. And it can cause you to have received your reward in full. And your prayer won't be answered, actually. So we have to be careful with that. But when you pray, Jesus said, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Wow, so maybe the apostles kind of got it wrong, eh? Like, they sure weren't in their prayer closets praying this day. So uh, what's with that? It's a good question. It's a valid question. But I want to share with you another passage that Jesus shared with us. And that's found in Matthew 18. And he says, Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. What is Jesus saying? It's not if two of you agree in your prayer room, in your closet. You know, oh, God goes wait, waiting for two or three people to have the same prayer in their prayer closet. No, this is very clearly, this, this is where people are gathered together and praying together and agreeing together about a prayer request. Then God says, then I will do it. And so the corporate prayer meeting is something that Jesus was uh, promoting and encouraging. And so I wanna, want you to realize that the one doesn't distract from the other. The group prayer meeting isn't sort of saying, oh, uh, saying uh, dis being described as opposed to the prayer meeting in your closet, nor is the prayer meeting in your closet opposed to the prayer meeting as a group. The two are different types of prayer, and they're both very, very important, and are both described by Jesus as something that we ought to do, and do it regularly. And... Um, in the first instance, there's hypocrisy by praying to be seen by others. That doesn't mean a group prayer meeting is praying to be seen by others. In fact, there are people who come to the prayer meeting who never open their mouth. And they're there every night. And I think they're praying for the right reasons, don't you think? Because they're certainly not praying to be seen by men. They're just there because they want to meet with God. Um, and it's clear from the apostles that just because in the book of Acts there's lots of references to group prayer meetings, the apostles also prayed on their own. Very clear. We see it in a number of times. Uh, in uh, chapter 9, um, Cornel Cornelius is told, no, no, Saul is, 
Oh, what's this? Oh, yeah, this is Saul's conversion. <coughs> and, uh, yeah, I know, that's the one I was getting to. I got a little mixed up here. <laughs> so, anyways, here is uh, a man named Saul, and he's praying. See, he's met the Lord, and he's in prayer. It's the first thing he went to. As soon as Saul met God, he's praying. And, uh, and then uh, in... Uh, Peter goes to the room in chapter 9, verse 40. And uh, there's everybody milling about in this room. There's a dead girl in the room. And he sends everybody out. says, get out here. Everybody leave. So th there's time for a corporate prayer meeting where everybody's praying. But there's also time where just the people who have faith, or maybe just the person who has faith, ought to be praying. And so Peter just kicks everybody out of the room. And then he gets down on his knees and he prays for this dead girl to come back to life. And she comes back to life. And then there's Cornelius, who we, in chapter 10, we find him praying uh, regularly. And uh, he talks about praying at 3 o'clock. In fact, the Bible says that it's because Cornelius prayed so faithfully that God came and visited him with an angel. And then the angel told him, go get uh, Saul of Tarsus and bring him back here, and he's going to tell you something. And Saul comes and tells the gospel, and they get gloriously saved. And the whole family and everybody that's... Uh, there gets filled with the Holy Spirit. That's all because this Gentile was praying. And the power of God came on him. Um, again, uh, as Nahia mentioned, Peter was up on the roof praying. Um, about noon, actually. It was in the city of Joppa where he was. He was praying. And um, then in chapter 22, uh, uh, chapter 11, uh, sorry, chapter 22, verse 17. When I turned to reduce him, I was praying in the temple, and I fell into a tra trance. So you can actually pray by yourself in a public place. And he fell into a trance. And in fact, in Acts chapter 6, it says that the apostles devoted themselves to prayer. Now, we don't know whether that was group prayer or individual prayer, but I assume it was a bunch of both. And so we recognize that if you don't pray in your closet by yourself, alone, with God, who sees in secret, then probably if you only pray in a group setting, then probably there's something wrong with your prayer life. And you're actually being a hypocrite by just wanting other people to see you praying. And God calls us to pray privately over and over again. But that doesn't mean there's no place for the group prayer. Uh, Twelve times in, in the book of Acts, there are group prayer meetings. Everybody in the church getting together or a group of people getting together and praying about various issues, about, about Peter being released from prison and a whole bunch of things. But they're prayer meetings, and God is present during those prayer meetings. It's very powerful. And so uh, why don't just look briefly for a few minutes at group prayer meetings um, because group prayer meetings, I believe, are powerful. They are where God shows up in a powerful way. Remember the, the first prayer meeting we talked about, Acts chapter 114, where they were all gathered together in the upper room? What happened in that upper room while they were praying? The Holy Spirit came down. The day of Pentecost happened. Uh, sound like a rushing mighty wind came. Tongues of, flame, of fire came and sat on each one of them. They all started speaking in tongues. And, and the church was born, powerful, in a prayer meeting. 
in chapter 4, the last part of chapter 4, the, they're praying in a prayer meeting because um, they're so concerned because the word of God is being uh, disrupted and, and they're being uh, whipped and thrown in prison. And so they pray and they ask God to, to help them to speak the word powerfully. They're, I love that passage because they don't pray that God would take away the, the uh, persecution. They just pray, Lord, help us to speak more boldly. And what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down in power. The whole building starts shaking, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them all. And what do they do? They preach the word boldly. They go out and preach. And so it is. These prayer meetings all through the book of Acts, you can see these prayer meetings where the, the word of the Lord comes to them, or in some powerful way, they all uh, are, are caught up in the work of the Holy Spirit again. Last week, Jacques talked about how God worked in his life and the Holy Spirit was poured out into his life. You want power like that? You want God to actually show up in your life and change your life? Go to a prayer meeting. Go to a prayer meeting. That's where it's the most likely to happen, that God will speak to you. God will, will come and pour out his power upon you. You know that the the great revivals in the world, the, the Welsh revival, the Jonathan Edwards preaching in the States, that huge revival that happened, all of those great revivals, when you look at them, they all start with one person calling a prayer meeting and people gathering around and praying and then more people gathering around, seeking God, desiring God to fill them with their Holy Spirit and then the power of God comes down, fills them with the Holy Spirit and they go out and, and, and people are changed. Remember the, the great revival in Western Canada? That started as a prayer meeting. And these revivals start with prayer meetings. Jim Cimbala, he he's the guy that wrote uh, Knowing God. His whole life was changed as they started, the whole ministry was changed because they started to have prayer meetings in their church. And they started doing the, the most incredible ministry to New York City because not through their Sunday morning preaching, through their prayer meeting. And people were coming to the prayer meeting to get saved and get prayed for, to get healed, all kinds of things. The group prayer meeting is a powerful place where God shows up and people's lives are changed. I've experienced that empowerment. Um, when you look through the rest of the, the book of Acts and you see what is happening through prayer, it's directly result of the filling of the Spirit that happened during prayer meetings. When they go and they, they, they cast demons out of people, it's because they were filled with power from the prayer meeting. When they go and preach boldly, it's because they were filled with power from the prayer meeting. When they go and, and heal the sick, it's because they were filled with the Holy Spirit because that happened at the prayer meeting. And so prayer and the filling of the Holy Spirit are directly connected. I was listening on the way here to church this morning about Andy Stanley, and he was saying, you know, if, you know what people want? They don't want you to, to share with them a powerfully just designed um, witnessing tool, you know, like the four spiritual laws, or you've got the whole EE program memorized, and you just give that to people. That's not what people want. You know what changes the hearts of people and causes them to accept Christ as their Savior? It's when they hear God speaking to their heart. And I don't care how prepared. I, I'm not saying don't be prepared. All I'm saying is if you haven't been talking with God about your neighbors, don't talk to your neighbors about God yet. 
We need to first meet with God in prayer, be empowered from on high so that we have a message to speak. You know, uh, preachers can preach great prepared sermons that are bang on theological, exegetical, and, and you know, not topical, and, and yet no power. The Spirit of God isn't in it. But then there's another preacher who preaches things that are a little bit wonky and seem a little bit weird, but the power of God is in it, and people's lives are changed. And you kind of go like, what was that? That is a reflection of a prayer life. That is a reflection of the filling of the Spirit due to a prayer life, and often a group prayer life. That's powerful. I want to just share one more thing about the group prayer meeting, and it's found in, in Acts chapter 13, verse 2. And while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work which I have called them to. Do you know that the group prayer meeting is a place where the Holy Spirit shows up and talks, speaks? Now, people at our prayer meetings have been saying, You know, I'm longing to hear the voice of God. We'll keep coming to the prayer meeting because that's the place where God speaks. And, you know, just recently, just a couple. Our, our, our uh, leadership team from our churches, the three churches here, we all met together, and we spent time reading the Bible and praying and asking God to speak to us. This is called a listening prayer. It's a prayer where you get together and you pray and you ask God to speak. Your servant's listening. We want to know what you have to say. We want to know how you want to guide this church. We want to know your directives. And if we don't take the time to actually listen... <laughs> And I was really challenged, actually, because I got kind of double whammied by God, both in that meeting and the whole week before at our district conference. The theme was exactly the same, listening prayer. And I was really challenged. Who is the leader of Eastgate Alliance Church? Is, it's Christ. But is he just a figurehead leader? Or is he actually leading by talking to his people and telling us what to do? And I was challenged, and I was like, at our elders meeting, we don't very, I mean, we pray at the beginning, we pray at the end, but do we actually take time and listen, what is God saying to you? Not very much. I can't ever remember doing it, actually. And I'm like, I'm ashamed of that. That's not right. When we pray, we also need to be listening to the Holy Spirit and allowing him the time to speak to us and give us direction on any given subject. And so I hope to incorporate more of that in our elders' meetings and in our leadership times so that we actually, so that Christ isn't just the figurehead of the church, but he's actually the one we listen to. And so it is with our families. Fathers, husbands, lead your families by prayer, by allowing Christ to take the actual leadership of your family by listening to what he has to say. Women, join your husband in this. Lead your family. And allow God to speak. This is who God has called us to do. Take your whole family into a prayer meeting. Ask God, what should we do? We don't do that often enough. You know, twice in the Bible, the, the Bible talks about the fact that God will guide us. We, we can know what God's will is for our life. And we can know God's guiding in our life. But both times, uh, there's prerequisites. One, one is found in uh, Romans chapter 12, 
Uh, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And be not conformed to, this, to the pattern of this world, but, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So you'll be able to, to figure out what God's will is. If you do the first two things, what are the first two things? Well, they're, they're kind of commit. Say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow the Lord. I'm going to give my life to the Lord. I'm going to put my life on the altar of sacrifice. I'm going to live for him. And then the other part is uh, to basically read God's word. You know, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, we renew our minds by reading God's word. And so these are prerequisites to knowing God's will. And so when you come to a prayer meeting, you want to hear God's will? Do this first. Check out his word. Give your life fully devoted to Christ. The other passage that, that says we can have God's will or he'll make our path straight is Proverbs 3, verse 5 to 6. One of my favorites. You've heard me share about this many times. But you notice that we need to trust in the Lord. We need to not lean on our own understanding, and we need to acknowledge him in all our ways. You know how you acknowledge God? You pray. You recognize that without, you know, in the Alliance, we have a statement. We do nothing without first praying. Is that true? Not always. I want it to be true. I'd like it to be true. We do nothing without praying. And I'm so excited that we have a daily prayer meeting at our church and uh, that a woman of God persevered and said, no, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. And you can come any night of the week to this church at 7 o'clock, and you can pray with some other people that will be there to pray with you. And I want to encourage you to do something. If you hunger for the Spirit's power on this place, I want to encourage you to make a weekly habit of going to a prayer meeting. Now, some of you pray in your Bible study group that you meet with, and that's great, and, and I just want to encourage you to do that. Others of you, you don't go to a prayer meeting. You don't, you don't go to a Bible study with prayer in it. And I want to just say, there's a large chunk of your life that's missing. You know, a lot of times there's one or two people praying in these prayer meetings, and I'm like, where are the other 300 people that call Eastgate their home? Well, they're missing out on the Spirit's power in their life and the ability to speak the word and have people actually respond to it, and the ability to, to heal. And all kinds of things are missing because people aren't at the prayer meeting. They're not hearing God's voice because they're not at the prayer meeting. And it grieves my heart. And I have to be honest with you. Sometimes, on Thursdays, before the meeting, I'm like, oh, I don't feel like going. That happens to me, too, just like probably everyone else except maybe not here. But no, she's joking. <laughs> but, she's confessed that to me too, I think, at least once, yeah. Uh, but yeah, we, we sometimes just go, oh, you know, like I'd rather just, you know, keep clicking through the channels on the TV. And yet God is calling us to prayer. Why is he calling us to prayer? Why did God show up when there was prayer and fasting? Because prayer says something. Prayer says, I'm not in this life on my own. I'm connected with this being called God. And we share this life. It's not just a one-off life. Kind of like with my wife and I. 
we share that life together. If I would never talk to my wife, that wouldn't be really a shared life. But we share our lives with God, and our power comes from God. And if we don't talk with him, that power gets turned off. The volume goes down to low, and nothing starts happening in your life. And so I just want to challenge us. Let's go to this, these prayer meetings. Let's take advantage of it. I want to just review what I've talked about today. Group prayer is not only practiced by the apostles over and over again in the book of Acts, it's also recommended by Jesus Christ himself. Are you taking Christ up on that recommendation? Do you call him Lord? Do you call him Master? Maybe you should do what he says. Hmm? Just a thought. Anyways, group prayer is not a substitute for private prayer. The apostles prayed privately all through the books of, of Acts. And clearly Jesus said, you're a hypocrite if you, if you just pray pri uh, publicly and don't pray privately. So it's not one or the other, it's both. Group prayer is often connected with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's where our power comes from. And we need that group prayer time to experience the power of God. And God, and group prayer is a place where God speaks. So someone's asked me the other day, they, well, how do I know it's God's voice? I mean, I hear sort of this voice in my head, but I don't know whether it's God's voice or some other voice. Well, let me tell you something. When the phone ring, when my phone rings and I answer it, and I hear a woman's voice on it, if it's Jennifer, she doesn't have to say more than one syllable before I know whose voice it is, right? Obviously. Now, you can have someone talk, figure out exactly what Jennifer usually talks like, try to mimic her voice, try to say the things that she says, won't work. I know her voice. You know, I, it was funny. I was over at the Nelsons the other day, and uh, Tim Nelson was there, and Andrew Nelson was there. And I was looking at Tim, and I heard him say a, a, a line. He, he said something, but I was looking at him, and his lips weren't moving, and I was like, what's going on here? And I realized that it was actually his brother in the other room speaking, and it sounded exactly like Tim. And I was like, what? It was so weird. So I was fooled. But has that ever happened to you, Linda? No, never happened to Linda. She knows the difference between Andrew and Tim. She knows. But I, I hadn't heard them for a while, and to me, they're exactly the same. Let me tell you, when you speak with God regularly, you won't be fooled by another voice. When you read the Bible regularly, you won't be fooled by another voice. When you are surrounded by other prayer warriors who, who understand and know God's voice, and you share something, and they go, mm, I don't think God was saying that. You need to listen to them. See, that's the way it works. The more you are in prayer, the more you hear God's voice, the more you read the scriptures, which is all God's voice, the more you will understand, you will pick it up right away whose voice that is that you're listening to. And you won't be fooled by, by another voice trying to mimic God's voice because the, the devil does mimic God's voice. Remember when Jesus was tempted? The devil used scripture. He was trying to mimic God's voice. Jesus would have no part of it. And that's what we need to recognize, that when we pray regularly, 
We will understand and hear God's voice.